You want people to leave a meeting with you and think, I am cheering for that guy or that gal. So tell them the movie version. Make them literally be reaching for the popcorn, saying, I'm here for this and I'm cheering. That's the vibe you want when you tell your backstory. Hey, my name is Stacey Havener. I'm obsessed with startups, stories, and sales. Storytelling has fueled my success as a female founder in the toughest boys club, Wall Street. I've raised over 8 billion that has led to 30 billion in follow-on assets for investment boutiques. You could say against the odds. Yeah, understatement. I share stories of the people behind the portfolios while teaching you how to use story to shape outcomes. It's real talk here. Money, authenticity, growth, setbacks, sales and marketing are all topics we discuss. Think of this as the capital raising class you wish you had in college, mixed with happy hour. Pull up a seat, grab your notebook, and get ready to be inspired and challenged while you learn. This is the Billion Dollar Backstory Podcast. You know those moments when you're at a work event, maybe a networking cocktail party, maybe a sales meeting, and someone says, tell me about yourself. Give us a little backstory. And then you break into a slight sweat because while you obviously know your backstory, you lived it, you don't know how to tell it. Maybe every time you do, it sounds different or you just kind of clam up and stammer out some bullet points. You know, I worked here from this year to that year. Then I went here from this year to that year and blah, blah, blah. The person smiles and nods their head, sends some nicety about a place you worked and then moves on. Me too. That was me too. And yet while that was happening to me, I was building a career, a reputation, a business telling the stories of other people and raising a whole lot of money on Wall Street. $8 billion that led to $30 billion in follow-on assets under management for new funds, startup firms, for founders against the odds. I mean, I can tell a mean backstory, just not my own. And you know what? The same was true for those founders. I was out there telling their stories, but if you asked them, They were just like you and me, bumbling, stumbling, not powerful at all. I'm starting with this very odd line of thinking for a very important reason. We're all in the same boat. You, me, the founders you'll hear from on this podcast, the experts who will give us advice. No one is 100% confident at telling their backstory in the beginning. No one kills it out of the gate. And that, my friends, is the first rule of this Backstory Club. We all start at the beginning. It's what we do, how we use our words, how we tap into our authenticity, why we're driven to use story to shape outcomes. That's what matters. We start from the bottom, now we're here. Or we will be together. So today I want to share with you the five questions that I am most frequently asked about backstory. This is basically the backstory of backstory, because we all might be thinking these questions and you might be surprised by the answers. I also want to share this as a way to encourage you to start exploring your own backstory. 
Whether it's just with yourself in solitude or with other peers in your industry or with your friends or family, these five questions set the foundation for why working on your own backstory is important. I'm going to walk you through the questions and some of the key points I want you to take away so that you have the theory behind the framework, a glimpse of how to use the framework, and you can learn from the common mistakes in backstory work so you can avoid them or at least recognize them when they happen and learn from them the next time. So here are the five most frequently asked questions I get around backstory. Question number one, what is your backstory and why should we care at all? Okay, (laughs) so I love this question. It basically goes to the beginning of the conversation here. I love this question because it gives me a chance to show the power of story on the story I know best, my own. And I say that with a pretty healthy dose of humility because it took me a very long time to be able to tell my story. As I said, I was much more comfortable telling the stories of others and much less comfortable telling my own story for years. But here's the thing. I saw backstory and storytelling in general work for them. I saw it raise billions of dollars for these founders of investment boutiques. I saw it literally change their businesses. And now, jump stop to today, I'm seeing firsthand the power of story is changing my business too. I mean, my goodness, it's changing my life. So let me tell you my backstory. I'm going to go back to the beginning. My name is Stacey Havener. I'm the founder of Havener Capital Partners, a sales and marketing agency that helps investment boutiques grow. In my career, I've raised over $8 billion that has led to over $30 billion in follow-on AUM for new funds, startups, investment boutiques, against the odds. And we're just getting started. Our mission is to level the playing field in asset management, or at least put a dent in it, by helping boutiques raise $100 billion this decade. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. Since our founding in 1989, we believe that alternative investments are an integral part of client portfolios. Unfortunately, Delivering high-quality hedge funds and private market exposures has always been a challenge for the wealth management industry. These type of alternative investments introduce unique challenges related to taxes, qualifications, paperwork, and reporting. As a result, high-net-worth investors tend to be significantly underallocated to both hedge funds and private markets relative to institutional investors. That's Stephanie Lang. Chief Investment Officer from Homrick Berg, an $11 billion RIA headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, that serves over 2,700 clients in 46 states. You can tell they believe in helping high net worth clients access hedge funds and other alternative investments. They are equally as passionate about broadening that access for all their clients, not just qualified purchasers or a select group of accredited investors. Meet Nick Darsh from Ultimus with some backstory. Hallmark Berg created a 3C1 fund in January 1999 to provide their high net worth and institutional investors with ready access to a diversified portfolio of hedge funds. 
As interest in the fund grew and the constraint of the 100 investor rule loomed, HB began exploring ways to continue expanding the investor pool without negatively affecting existing shareholders. We'll hear more about the creative fund conversion work that made it possible later in the show. Now, back to the program. Now, on paper, none of what I just said makes any sense. I'm a blue-collar kid from a working-class town who got the wrong degree from the wrong school, and I'm a woman. I didn't grow up with dreams of working on Wall Street. I wanted to be a college professor, but soccer changed everything. I went to Western Connecticut State University in Danbury, Connecticut, my hometown at the time, and my freshman year was the first year they had a women's varsity soccer team. So to say that we were underdogs is a huge understatement. We were the bad news bears. But when I left four years later, we were ranked third in the nation in Division Three, And it was my first experience building something as a founder. Obviously has direct ties to what I do today as a day job. But that's just one part of the soccer story. Soccer played another part too. I majored in English literature. I was a poet a writer, a storyteller, and I had dreams of becoming a literature professor. But I had paid my way through undergrad, and I was going to have to pay my way for grad school, too. My high school soccer coach and I had kept in touch over the years because I was basically still home, and he would come to my games. He was an incredible father figure in my life. And while I thought he was just a soccer coach, he apparently had a day job which was running a billion-dollar small-cap equity shop, a boutique asset management firm. And he knew my situation, and he offered me a job. He said, you know, you can come here, work here, you can save some money for a couple years, and then you can go back to grad school. He wanted to launch a fund for the first time, and he was like, you can help me do that. So I'm like, coach, that's all well and good, except I know nothing about stocks. My dad was a math teacher, so I liked math. But again, poetry and writing, that was really my jam. He was like, I'll teach you. So I did. I went there. I learned a ton. I learned how to launch a fund, how to structure it. I learned everything that goes into it. And then basically, once the fund was launched, he handed me, this is going to date me here, but whatever. He handed me, which was basically a list, the S&P Blue Book, And he was like, let's figure out how to raise some money. Here's let's start calling people. And I went to what I knew best. I was way out over my skis. I was way out of my comfort zone. I didn't know that there was a way, air quotes, to raise money. So I went to my comfort zone, which was stories. And we raised 500 million in two years. I was hooked. I never went back to get my degree. I felt like for a girl who loves words, I had found a home in an industry filled with men who love numbers. And I built a career telling stories of these boutiques, these underdogs, and helping them go from the beginning to billions. I mean, it makes total sense in some weird way. And so the backstory is important because this is more than a job for me. 
It's really a mission. It's a passion. It's a calling because standing for underdogs is very near and dear to my heart. In so many ways, I was one. So that's my backstory. I share it with you not only because I'm the host of this podcast and I want you to get a chance to know me, but also because the more we hear people tell their backstory, the more it helps us get in touch with our own. And that's what I'm hoping this podcast is going to do. It's not just let me tell you how to do the things. It's also let me show you, let me let you hear other people share their backstory because just in that process, you are going to find more confidence in authentically telling your own. So with that, let's move on to question two. Question two, most frequently asked question I get around backstory is, what is the theory behind storytelling? Like, why should we even believe in this at all? Okay, very fair question. I would say the theory isn't even about story. It's about human behavior. To me, that's at the root of everything and especially storytelling. So human behavior is scientific. Studies show that 95% of decision-making is subconscious. Now, this is not a stat that anybody in the investment industry likes or probably wants to believe. But this is a human thing. This is not an investment thing. This is not another different industry thing. It's a human thing. And if we layer down and think this through, if the decision-making is happening in our subconscious, that's emotion. And the way to connect emotionally is through story. And that goes back to the beginning of time. The storytelling is the art, but the theory is based on science. So in the investment space or any industry, really, when you launch something, people ask you, what are you building? There's that question. Who do you want to be when you grow up? And you look around as a founder and you, you look for the, the other firms that are successful and you, you point to them and say, I want to be them, that big successful firm over there. In the investment world, you might point to BlackRock. They're the biggest but that could happen in any industry. You see the bigs and you envision a future that looks a lot like them. And so then your rational mind goes, okay, great. Well, if I want to be them, then I should use their playbook. And the problem is that playbook doesn't work for you. You can't use their playbook. It's a playbook for the big. It's not for you. It's not going to work. And so now you have all these startups and specialists trying to use the wrong playbook and banging their head on their desk going, why isn't this working? It doesn't play to the strengths of a startup or a founder-led specialist. The analogy I often give here is David and Goliath. Again, we just talked about underdogs. I mean, David is the penultimate underdog who beat Goliath, the penultimate powerhouse. And how did he do it? Did he use Goliath's playbook, which was, you know, artillery and armor and all this heavy equipment and, I don't know, probably master plans, documents, a whole squad of people? No. David beat Goliath with a slingshot because it just so happens that David was a real badass with the slingshot. And if he had tried to beat Goliath with Goliath's playbook, would he have won? 
Definitely not. Instead, he went to his specialty. That's how he beat Goliath. And so we as boutiques need to find our slingshot. And it's not going to be using the playbook of some big. One of the reasons the big's playbook doesn't work as well for boutiques is big's downplay people, individuals. I mean, really, our whole industry does. The investment industry prioritizes numbers and data over words and stories. It values performance over people, and that's wrong. Because every business is a people business, even the investment industry. People do business with people. People invest with people. And people connect with people. Story is where it starts. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. When we first launched our internal fund of funds as a limited partnership, it was a great option for us to be able to provide 100 of our accredited and qualified purchaser clients with access to a diversified portfolio of hedge fund strategies. However, fast forward to 2016, our firm had grown to manage over $4 billion and serve over 1,000 clients of various sizes, accreditations, and tax situations. We still firmly believe that high-quality hedge fund exposure is important to client portfolios. It provides stability to client portfolios and generates a return stream that was not available in public and equity and fixed income markets. Unfortunately, the 3C1 structure with its slot limitations, high minimums, and K1 reporting was no longer ideal solution for our growing and complex client base. We looked at various alternative options with third-party hedge fund managers, liquid hedge mutual funds, but also discovered that we had an opportunity to register our fund with the SEC, preserve its extensive track record, and solve all of the issues that the 3C1 structure was creating for our business and clients. That's when we teamed up with Ultimus to begin the process of registering our legacy fund with the SEC and converting it to a tender offer fund. We'll hear more later in the show. Now, back to the program. All right, let's go to question three. What makes a good backstory? Great question. Very tactical. Before we go to what makes a good backstory, let's start with stories in general. Let's go to the movies, right? Classic books. Let's go to Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Screenwriters use these classic story arcs, but they can apply to any story, not just movies, not just books. And if you Google this, which I encourage you to do, go down the rabbit hole on all the story arcs, all the frameworks, find something that resonates with you. There are a lot of different frameworks for how to write a good story. And they have varying levels of complexity. Some have five phases, some have seven, some have 12. I'm going to break it down to three. Super simple, okay? Here we go. Here's the story arc. You started here, something happened, some obstacle or conflict, and you ended up over here changed. That's it. I'll say it again. There's some ordinary world that you're starting in, you encounter a conflict or opposing force, and you emerge changed. 
that is the makings of a great story. And you can layer in the rising action as the conflict builds and the falling action as you resolve the conflict. But any good story is a journey, a transformation. Every good story also has high stakes. In other words, would you have cheered for Rocky if he was the favorite? Like he had the best trainers and the best record. And every time he stepped into the ring, he just won every match. You're like, great, this guy's crushing it. And what's the point of this movie? Like we can't cheer for him, right? I mean, it's just like, why are we watching this? <laughs> or Liam Neeson and Taken. What if his daughter wasn't kidnapped by terrorists, but she was just like at the mall and forgot to call home? What? Why do we care about this movie at all? We need stakes. We need a reason to care. We need a common shared experience, even if we haven't lived it. Being an underdog, fear of losing someone we love or losing something important, a journey, a life-changing adventure. Whatever that is, it needs to have stakes and it needs to tap into emotion. Yeah, emotion. I know. Even in the investment space and Every portfolio manager is cringing right now. I'm not saying you need to pour your heart out in meetings. I mean, you can. I'm here for that. But you do need to bring some vulnerability and authenticity to the conversation. You can shy away from matters of the heart, but your story isn't going to resonate as well. So let's take an example. If you spent the bulk of your career working for a great mentor, maybe an investing legend, someone who took you under their wing and for years you were beside them, learning, investing, building a company. And then something happens. They retire. They pass away. They leave the company to someone else. There's a change. There's a lot of emotion around that. And no one believes you if you say there isn't because it's just not true, right? I mean, you don't spend the bulk of your career working for someone, building something amazing and not have feelings about that, be it good or bad. So you can share what you loved about one part of your journey and what frustrated you about another part. Give people a reason to care and to connect with you. That's vulnerability. That's authenticity. It has nothing to do with your personal life. It's just getting to the messy parts of any story. And vulnerability and authenticity, these concepts are important as you raise capital and they are a daily practice. But there's another element that matters in storytelling. It's really important. I'm blathering on and I don't care because I want you to have all this. So who is the hero of the story? There's a sort of asterisk on that, which is, there can only be one. There can only be one hero. So in 99% of the stories you tell, your client, your prospect, your investor, the other person is the hero and you are not the hero. You are the guide, okay? They are Luke Skywalker. You are Yoda. They are Harry Potter. You are Dumbledore. They're Katniss. You're Hamish. Okay? Almost all the stories you tell are not about you. You aren't the hero. Why? Because people don't care about you. 
They care about themselves. They care about what you can do to help them. So they are the hero, except for one story, which is your backstory. And if you imagine the movies, because the movies are so much of storytelling, and if you think of any movie where there's a hero and a guide set up, so let's take the last one we did, Hunger Games, Katniss and Hamish. So in a movie, the hero does not choose their guide. They're just handed the guide, right? Katniss didn't have a lineup of 10,000 potential guides in the movie, and she had to pick one, right? She just got handed Hamish. But in the investment industry, in the asset management industry, there's tons of funds you could pick. There's tons of boutique asset managers and not boutiques, bigs, every flavor, active has up. There are a ton of choices for whom you're going to pick as your guide. There's a conscious decision that needs to be made around who you're going to choose. And that's why this part of storytelling, the backstory, is so important. Your prospects have a choice and the backstory helps them choose you. That's why the vulnerability and authenticity are so important because they aren't just buying a fund or a product or a service or whatever industry you're in. They are hiring a human. They are choosing a guide. Okay, my gosh, that was a lot. I basically blacked out there. So let's recap. Framework of a good story, just three things that you need in the story itself. Started here, encountered a challenge, emerged, changed. Perfect. But you need to have a conflict. You need high stakes. You need emotion and vulnerability. And you need to know you aren't the hero in most stories. You are the guide. Accept your backstory. And you are the only one who can be the hero of that. You want people to leave a meeting with you and think, I'm cheering for that guy or that gal. So tell them the movie version. Make them literally be reaching for the popcorn, saying, I'm here for this and I'm cheering. That's the vibe you want when you tell your backstory. Okay, question four. Does it work? Does storytelling work? No, for real, does it work? (laughs) Yes, it works for real. Okay, next question. No, I'm, I'm serious. It works. And I know that investment people speak numbers. So let me give you some examples of stories at work that I've personally been involved with. Okay, ready? I've helped a new fund go from $1 million in AUM to $1 billion in AUM in three years. Raised $300 million for a new boutique with bottom decile performance raised over $500 million for a boutique, and closed their flagship strategy in three years. Doubled the size of a boutique asset manager with one deal. Got a $10 million commitment after one phone call. Secured $60 million in seed capital for a new interval fund before launch. Secured $25 million in seed capital for a new mutual fund before launch. I could go on. The point here is, yes, it works. And I get why people doubt it. I mean, here we are in the investment industry filled with just wicked smart people with all these advanced degrees and bonkers experience. And here comes this chick, me, saying, hold the phone. Stories are the thing. Stories before sales. And I'm taking everything that 
people have been taught and flipping it on its head like a total disruptive rebel. I get it. (laughs) I get it. I'm not saying story's the only thing. There's still a whole bunch of due diligence that needs to get done. There's quant research, operational due diligence. There's a lot. It's not that the quantitative and the numbers aren't important. It's that they aren't the most important and they aren't the only important thing. Words and people matter. Stories matter. And I get why that sounds crazy. And maybe I would be a doubter too if I hadn't seen it happen again and again and again. So when I shared my backstory, I mentioned it took me a long time to realize I was doing something different. And it did. It took me a long time to unpack what I was doing because I was clearly doing the same things over and over again as I was raising this money. I just didn't know what it was. Over time, I was able to codify that. I I put it into a blueprint. We call it our billion-dollar blueprint. It's built for boutiques, and it's repeatable, and it's systematized. But if someone said to me, yep, Stacy, I see all of that and I get it. I see your blueprint. Awesome sauce. It's amazing. But I only have time for one thing. Like I'm going to do one thing out of this whole blueprint. What should I do? I would say, get your stories straight. And I mean, get them right and start with your backstory. The whole blueprint that we use at Havener is built around storytelling. It's the greatest, most underappreciated asset, and it's all inside you. You are looking for growth. You're looking for asset growth. If you're a boutique asset manager, a wealth manager, you're looking for career growth or a board seat or a new job or whatever it is that you're looking for. Typically, you look externally. You look outside yourself and say, yeah, I want to grow. So it's out there, the key to it all. But it's not. It's internal. It's the growth starts inside you. And stories shape outcomes. They allow you to write your future. So use your words. You'll be amazed, I promise. All right, question five, last question. What is the biggest mistake you see in storytelling? That's a great one. I'm all about learning from mistakes. So this isn't a mistake per se, but I want to share it to go back to the first rule of the Backstory Club. We all start at the beginning. We all start at the bottom. Somebody cue Drake. Okay. There are a lot of challenges, but typically for us, when we're working with a portfolio manager, a founder, we all know what the psychographics of a portfolio manager are, right? Are they happy to go do sales and marketing? Not really. I mean, are they happy to even step out from behind their Bloomberg? Not really. Stories and words, this is not their comfort zone. So when we say, hey, we want to talk about stories and we're going to use storytelling to help you raise money, this is a huge ask for them. And when we work with fund managers, what's really interesting is when we ask them to tell their story, you know, we say, you've made this decision to launch a company which is no small decision. If you launched your own firm, what was your journey? Like, what was your path to get here? I mean, they literally look like they're going to pass out. I mean, they go white. They don't know how to answer it. They're like pale, okay? They get very uncomfortable. And 
really what they're looking for when they start talking is how do I get back to my comfort zone, which is back to the portfolio, back to the markets, back to the numbers. Portfolio managers are most comfortable with numbers. Their unique ability is investing in markets, not storytelling. So what happens is the first time we do storytelling with them, they are so uncomfortable, visibly uncomfortable, because we're asking them to do something they've never been asked before. They've spent their entire career being told no one cares about them. And by the way, this is obviously not their language. And as I shared with you, whenever you get nervous, you go to your comfort zone. So if you're in the investment biz, they're going to go to their portfolio. How can I get back to that? How can I get back to the markets and the data and the stats? And they really don't want to talk about themselves their values, their philosophy, sort of the qualitative stuff. So when we start working with managers, I prefer to do those calls with the portfolio manager slash founder without anybody else there. Because sometimes if there's an audience, it's even harder for them to get in touch with these stories with authenticity. So they practice just telling it to me. And if I really feel that we're struggling, like we're not getting anywhere, I can't find the story, I can't find a thread to pull, there's a big unlock that you can use, which is I ask them to tell me about their mentor. Tell me a story about your mentor. And it typically brings them from their head to their heart. And once you get them functioning in the heart part, so to speak, then they're able to talk a little bit more freely. So this question was about what's the biggest mistake, so to speak. And I don't, this isn't a mistake. I think what I'm sharing with you here is this is a natural block to getting in touch with your story. And it's okay. You're not gonna nail it on the first try. I think The mistake is to have this pressure on you of, okay, like, go, tell your story, and you're going to nail it. You're not. And you know what? If there's people around, it's going to be even more challenging for you. So find one person or practice by yourself, right? Because you got to get in touch with the sort of heart elements. And for most people in this industry, you're going to be stuck in the intellectual, rational parts. Now, what I don't hear from clients of Havener is things like stories aren't going to work because if they said that, I'd be like, well, we are not the group for you. I am sure there is somebody else who likes to, you know, fling fact sheets around and throw funds at a wall and see what sticks. But that is not us. So we are brave enough to attract people to our roster who believe in the power of story and are on the opposite side are repel, if you will, is if you don't believe in it, we're not your people. So by virtue of the fact that managers are coming to us, that that they're on our roster, they believe enough in story and are open enough to try it, but that doesn't mean it's easy. We'll talk more about attract and repel another time. I could totally riff on that right now, but I'm not going to. So big picture, You have it. You've got the five questions that I'm most often asked about backstory and storytelling in general. You've started to peel back the layers on what works 
in storytelling and specifically why backstory is important. You've got the confirmation that yes, it indeed does work, right? It's worth it to try this and lean into it. And you're starting to understand what makes a good story and the common mistakes. You've also got at least one example of a backstory now because I shared mine with you. And I mean, just wait to see what we've got in store for you on this podcast. You are going to hear so many fabulous stories of people behind the portfolios, ones who have made it and raised billions of dollars and built some of the most successful investment firms, as well as the next gen, the emerging managers, the ones who got next. And we're going to hear from experts in sales and marketing, their backstories, and how story has helped them shape outcomes in business and in life. So the question I have for you now is, what would it look like for you if you built upon this learning today? What can you do today to start leaning into story? Maybe you put a block of time on your calendar to start working on your backstory. Or maybe you ask clients or peers or people you love to tell you their backstory. Just throw it out there, lob it out. Like, hey, tell me your story. How did you get here? How did you build your business? How did you become, insert whatever their career is? These questions are the basis for powerful business-changing conversations but they're also the basis for powerful life-changing conversations. And it's hard work, but it's work that matters because people matter. You matter. So high five till next time. If you know a fund manager or a founder in the investment world with a great story, drop a note to stacy at stacyhavener.com and tell me about it. Till next time, I'm Stacey Havener. Thanks for listening. And now, a final word from our premier brand partner, Ultimus Fund Solutions. The conversion of Armut Berg's LP into an integral fund empowered them to grow the fund from 90 million to over 200 million and expand the reach from 100 investors to nearly 700 new investors and continues to grow today. By pursuing the conversion, Hamrick Berg was able to lower minimums to 25000 welcome accredited investors in addition to qualified purchasers. The entire conversion process was highly efficient because Hamrick Berg chose to partner with Ultimus and other partners with a proven track record in this type of structure-to-structure product transition. The headlines are often too focused on new interval funds from pedigreed providers, this new fund from this cool big firm, etc., Maximizing a fund's potential through a conversion can be powerful too, as we see in the story of Hallmark Berg. Traditional investment management and alternative investment management are conversion. More retail investors are demanding access to non-correlated strategies in illiquid asset classes to complement or supplement public markets exposure. Interval and tender offer funds offer managers a flexible wrapper that combines many of the benefits of both 1940 Act and private fund structures. Interest in these products has increased significantly in the past decade, and we anticipate the volume of both new launches and structure conversions to continue well into the future.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment values may fluctuate, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. All opinions expressed by guests on the show are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect those at their firm. Managers' appearance on the show does not constitute an endorsement by Stacey Havener or Havener Capital Partners.